afternoon and welcome back to the Horror Autopsy. I'm Paolo. I'm Ed. And we're here to dissect some more horror for you guys. We are indeed, yes. Uh, today we are doing occult horror. Um, we've chosen two films, which we'll get into shortly. Uh, yeah, both quite, in a way, quite different films, I'd say, but obviously uh, a lot of overlaps. But uh, yeah, I think they, they pair quite well together. Mm. Uh, Agreed, yeah. yeah. And upon second, third viewing, with one of these in particular, like multiple viewings, like you're saying, they're quite different, but they are quite similar. Mm. And it struck me this time around how sim I didn't think these two would pair up quite so well, but well done then. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we're switching each episode. So obviously our first one was just um, our top fives in horror in general. And then you picked the last episode, the Halloween 1978 and 2018 version. And then, yeah, this, uh, these two films, they were my idea. And then the next one, we've not decided the next one yet, but the next one you're going to pick. Yes. We'll uh, go like that. Uh, before we get into it, uh, what have you been watching recently? Have you watched any good horror movies? Uh, so I saw the new Scream, Scream 5, uh, I believe yeah. it's called. It's, no, it's just called, they did, they did the goddamn Halloween thing again, they just called it Scream. So they mention that in the film. Okay. Um, I'm not, I've not seen it. Okay, it's fun. I'm not gonna lie, it's really fun. Went with a guy from work. Uh, we had a lot of fun. He hadn't seen any of the other screens. Oh, really? And he was expecting sort of like schlock. And he was actually, I think, quite okay. pleasantly surprised. Um, I was a little disappointed with it. And then upon reflection, I actually quite liked it. I'd give it like a 6 out of 10. I thought oh, okay. it, it was fun. It, people are saying it was the most violent one. I don't know. Everyone just desensitized to stuff. Then, I mean, I don't think any of them... Are I don't think of any of them as being tremendously violent. But I remember, remember the, the first, first one. one. I think the, the opening in the first one is pretty violent. But because um, I've, I've I've seen the first one a couple of times. I, I actually only recently watched the second, third, and fourth, and I liked. I quite I liked the second. I thought the second was pretty good. I, I actually I actually really like the third. The third is generally regarded as not being very good. I think the third is actually quite underrated, and then the fourth I didn't love. To be honest, I didn't think it was. Um, I didn't think it was great, but the first one is a uh, is a horror classic. classic. I think. Yeah, classic. absolutely. Yeah. Um, I remember liking the fourth one because I watched it during lockdown way back when. Now, um, and I do remember liking because I remember hearing not many people liked it. But mm. I, you know, it was Wes Craven's last film. Incidentally, this new Scream Five has a nice yeah. little like tribute to Wes Craven. Who directed it? I think oh, I did the new one. Yeah, the one uh, that's come out. Two different directors, like two two people. Uh, I'm not okay. sure who. Um, start, but, but you know what? No, I I, I thought it was really good. Um, I, th I thought it, you know, I laughed in all the right places, and it was just okay. me and him in the screen, so we were just like talking. And, oh, okay, like, we were interacting as we were meant to. Yeah, it, it, it was a good postmodern satire. Uh, yeah. Well, I guess that's kind of screams um, gimmick, for lack of a better word. Sure. The, the first one, at least, was kind of the first meta horror film, and then the others of. You know, sort of um, try to keep up that trend. With you know, they've got you've got the the stab film. So stab within a film in the Scream universe, stab eight is out, and okay. they keep saying how no one liked the last stab film okay. because it totally changed up the horror rules. It's a lot. It's a lot to do with fandom, and yeah, it's okay. fine. I, I won't spoil it, but it's fun. <laughs> um, also, I saw um, for any I don't know real schlock fans out there, um, Black Past, yeah, a film by a guy who I've now totally forgotten his name. Um, but it's like low budget shot on video gore uh, okay. films about uh, a haunted mirror that uh, basically possesses people and there's, you know, penises being nailed to wooden boards. Is this the German, the German one you were talking yes, about? Yes, yeah. called Black Pass. Black Pass. Uh, it's on uh, YouTube, actually. Really? Yeah. Um, and it, uh, uh, Olaf Uk-Uttenbach. Cool. This director. Um, it's not everyone's cup of tea. It's, it's schlock and like heavy on the gore, you know. It's, 
faces being like viscerated by chainsaws and stuff. It's fun. But then a really uh, an underrated film that I hadn't really heard of, which is on Netflix, which is called The Block Island Sound, which is um, about a dad who is got some undisclosed illness and he keeps disappearing on a boat. Dogs and animals start disappearing. Dad okay. keeps coming back. Uh, the, 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 the son is looking after the dad. The daughter then comes to stay um, and it all gets a bit weird. Uh, very Lovecrafty. It's almost like The okay. Shining a little bit with sound. Sound. With sound. Okay. Yeah. I liked it. Okay. I liked it. Okay. Um, yeah. Oh, fair play. Um, I've actually, well, I'm, I've not been watching a tremendous amount of uh, horror recently. It's uh, awards season, Oscar season, so I've been trying to catch up um, with a few of those. I did see, it's not a, it's not a horror film, but I'm still going to recommend it. It's a movie called Pig with Nicholas Cage. I want to see it. Yes, You've I've heard, heard it. I've heard yeah. it. They were showing it at the Prince Charles with, really? Alex, with Alex Wolf Alex as well. Alex Wolf yeah. is in it as yeah. well. Um, it's, again, it's not a horror film, but it's... Um, I bleak, guess, I've heard. It's, I guess you could call it bleak. Okay. Yeah, I, it, I, didn't, I don't know how to really describe it, to be honest. The plot is essentially... Um, Nicolas Cage in, I think, the best performance I've ever seen him give. Um, really? He's, a, he's absolutely fantastic. You heard that here first. He is very not Nick Cage. He is not, you know, you know, up to 11. Oh, Nicolas Cage. Oh. <laughs> like, he, um, like he can be in a lot of movies. He's very, very, it's a very understated performance. He plays a, um, a man who lives out in the woods um, who, who's got a bit of a, you get the impression he's got a bit of a sketchy past. Um, and he's a... Uh, he has a truffle pig, and he he, pick, he he has this pig, and he goes out and picks truffles, um, and people that's he, people come and buy these truffles, and then about ten minutes into the film, um, some people break into his house, knock him out, and steal his truffle pig, and then the rest of the film is him along with um, one of his customers, played by Alex Wolf, who's great in Hereditary, and he's great in this as well. Um, they go looking for this uh, for this truffle pig. It's set in Portland, I believe. Okay. Um, and it's sort of like it's that that's just the plot, but then there's a lot and I think to say more about it would be to sort of spoil it really. But okay. um it's it's I really, really, really liked it. I think it might have been it's one of the best films I've seen in a while. And although it's not horror, it's kind of genre. It's a strong recommend, Pig with uh, Nicolas Cage. I can't remember the name of the director, he's a first time uh, first time director. Uh, but yes, very, very, very good. I wanna see it. Oh uh, they were showing it at the Prince Charles, but I just didn't have time to, to, to go and see it. Um Nicholas Cage picked it because it was the least Nicholas Cage thing he'd done in like 10 years. Yeah. But he was saying that he had reached his pinnacle of filmmaking because he got bitten by a pig on set. Oh, really? And the pig was quite difficult. Okay. And he said that it was like the hardest co-star he had to deal with. <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, there's some fun trivia. They had like the pig had never was, wasn't really trained or anything. Okay. So they had to really like, it was a real risk apparently this film. I think they always say that first time filmmakers, they should never work with animals. Never animals or children. Animals or children, yeah. yeah. I would think Robert Eggers, who did all, he did never, he's never worked with animals, never worked with children, never worked sort of out, yeah. you know, in the middle of nowhere. And Robert Eggers did all three and pulled it off, but yeah, evidently. Is yeah. Newfoundland coming out as well? I saw the trailer. It is the Northman. Yeah, yeah, it looks fantastic. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. and um, Willem Dafoe, who's now currently my one of my top five favorite actors. Really? Oh, okay. After Spider Man, which isn't very horror related, but I just forgot I'm how. Seen, I haven't seen that yet. I'm seen oh, it's so much yeah, fun! It's so week. much fun. I'm seeing it this week. Okay, you will enjoy it. Okay. Willem Dafoe. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and Sam Raimi's doing the new Doctor Strange. He is, yes. isn't he? Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Although yeah. I just wish he'd make another horror film. He is as well. Is he really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. I can't remember what it's called, but that's coming out as well. Okay. Okay, right. Yeah. Uh, so we'll uh, start to yeah we'll start to get into our two films. So yeah, the theme, like I said at the beginning, and you if you click on the episode, you know what we're talking about anyway. But it's occult horror, and we are talking about Ty West's The House of the Devil and Ben Wheatley's Kill List. So yeah. 
both occult horror, one American and one English. Setting of the films, I think, are both quite significant. You know, House of the Devil uh, is made to look like it was made in sort of the late 70s, early 80s, and it's all about sort of the satanic panic of the late 70s when, um, you know, after the Manson murders and everything and, pe and cults were kind of on the rise in America and, you know, after the whole God is dead kind of thing. There was a lot of, there was a lot of fear in America that people, especially, you know, in a very religious country, people were turning away from that and worshipping the devil, essentially, but um, very significant to this film. Um, and then Kill List, obviously, is um, an English film made by Ben Wheatley, who's very, you know... Big uh, up Ben Wheatley. Yeah, yeah, I, love, um, I, I like Ben Wheatley. I think you like Ben Wheatley maybe a little more than I do. Yeah, I remember having a conversation with you about this, yeah. Yeah, um, I, I do like him, and I'm, I'm warming to him maybe a little more recently, and Kill List is definitely my favourite of his films. I haven't seen all his films. I've seen I've seen Down Terrace, I've seen Kill List, and I've seen Science Seekers. Building in England's great. I haven't seen oh, that. No. It's, and uh, uh, his last film, um, In the Earth. Oh, uh, yeah. I, I really thought was one of the best horror films of last year. Uh, okay, yeah. I haven't seen that. You can say people no. wouldn't like it. Yeah, I remember hearing about it. It's kind of, yeah, kind of weird trippy. and psychedelic yeah. and trippy, which yeah. is totally up your street. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It's cool. Okay. Um, so do you want to... You, when I suggested these two episodes to you, you... Um, you recommended a bunch of other occult horror films which we could potentially do. I thought about, obviously, Rosemary's Baby is um, kind of the OG of um, this genre, and I thought we could do that initially, but then I thought a lot has been said about Rosemary's Baby, and it is mm. generally regarded as, well, I think it's one of the best films ever made, I think. I, think I watched it, um, again, fairly recently, and it's a complete... Okay. It's just a fucking masterpiece. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Before. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you need to go back. I always feel it. weird, even though I have a Polanski box set down there. I always feel yeah, weird approaching that. Roman Polanski. There is um, that, yeah. There's always a part of me that's like, is there anything in this film that, that is, you know... Yeah, <laughs> did, he, did we, did we he, miss something? Yeah, I mean, he did make that before the... Um, he did, yeah, he the did. incident, did. which we won't get into, that happened with um, Roman Polanski. I think everything, else, everything he's done after, you can make a case for not watching. Um, but well, I think just after Chinatown. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But well, it's actually funny to talk about the Manson. Sorry. No, 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 you go. I was going to say, it's funny you mention uh, Manson in this because obviously um, awful things right after Sharon Tate was murdered by the yes. Manson. Yeah, so I guess occult horror does, um, yeah, well, the occult does kind of uh, tie into that. But yeah, we're, we're um, going on a tangent. So yeah, Rosemary's Baby is kind of, yeah, you could argue the most important and uh, famous occult horror movie. Uh, but there, there are a few others that you recommended to me. So do you want to talk about maybe the, <laughs> the history of occult horror and um, a few other films which um, are part of that genre, um, apart from Rosemary's Baby and the two films that we're talking about. Sure. Uh, so Haskin was the first ever real film to deal with the occult. Um, it's like an early 20s German movie, uh, maybe even before the 20s. Um, really? Okay. And it's like a, a pseudo-documentary just showing scenes from what occultists do, I guess. So okay. But there is a narrative all the way running through it. And basically at the end, uh, it, it's actually a very modern film even now where basically, you know, there's no real such thing as, you know, ghouls and goblins. And actually it's more about, you know, traumas and, mm. uh, you know, broken minds and, you know, how easy people really are underneath the, you know, the, the, the you know, thin veneer of, you know, togetherness. Um, okay. But it's a great film. And it, it was banned when it first came out. It's still quite creepy. You know, there's like, bums and boobies and you know people running around um it's a lot less shocking than i've just made it sound again really influenced by the whole german expressionism uh, lots of shadows you know devils with horns playing keyboard there's a lot of like i guess now iconic imagery 
Okay. <coughs> but that was the first film to really depict the occult. Nosferatu, which we mentioned on this on the first episode, Albin Gru, who was the film's producer, was a famous um, occultist, and he oh. followed um, the Hermetic Order, which is basically a, a shoot off of uh, occultism started by uh, by Hermes Thramagus, which is like a he's a Greek occultist. Um, he basically filled up uh, the whole of Nosferatu with occultist imagery, sent the posters, and he thought this film was gonna brainwash the world in becoming Satanists, um, which is cool. So all the way through, I mean, you know, you had you had fiction depicting this, so people like, um, oh my God, how the hell did I just forget his name? Uh, guy who wrote The Devil Rides Out. Um, I don't know. Before that, you had a whole wave of writers post-World War II for the next new Enlightenment movement. Uh, you know, obviously the horrors of the war sobered mm. everybody up and they wanted the next new Enlightenment. So you had books like Rosemary's Baby, The Devil Rides Out. Uh, you're talking about God is Dead and Nietzsche was like, now that religion has died, what are we going to fill it with? Kenneth Anger, who first came to fame with fireworks, was that man who has a wet dream and he's uh, sodomized in a bathroom by sailors. Uh, and he finds out that he enjoys it. But within that film, <laughs> there was like a barrel of It's not as, again, it, it's more of like a sexual liberation. It was, like the, it was actually banned on um, obscenity charges because of like its homosexual overtones. Um, but within that, there were a lot of occult imagery. So he really kick-started like, true occultism within film. And then we had a slew of um, movies. Actually, funny enough, a lot from Britain. So stuff like um, Blood and Satan's Claw. Um, you sent me a big, long list Black of um, movies. Sunday. I think most of them I hadn't heard of. Uh, Italian movies, some of them? Oh, yeah, so stuff like Inferno. So then along comes Suspiria. And a lot of you know. uh, yeah, well, well, when we get into House of the Devil, there are a few <laughs> shots. Suspiria was a definitely, I think, a film that influenced House of the Devil. That is um, a particularly towards the end, which uh, we'll get mm -hmm. to, is definitely, yeah, um, definitely Suspiria influenced. So I guess I never really thought of that as a cult horror actually, because I bet, I bet it is, you know, more so than say, uh, I'd say like the Sentinel even. Um, there are like real images of occult symbols and meanings. So sort mm. of things like. So Kenneth Anger basically thought his movies were spells. Like there were there were moments within his films that would create emotional peak moments that would create kind of an emotional spell within people. And he saw filmmaking as the modern day you know, spell making. Okay, um, interesting. Yeah, and I feel that's kind of the real like side to occultism within film. And then mm. obviously horror came along, and we're, we're, I guess it was all it was often. Um, in a sort of um, exploitation, an exploitative kind of, way, yeah, um, kind of way, yeah. yeah. So people um, like Argento and Kenneth Anger, um, Anton LaVey, who did make a couple of movies, they were less. Sure, Suspiria is all knife, 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 but yeah. but but there is a, a romantic side to it. There is almost like this forbidden fruit. Yeah, thing. I suppose so. Yeah, uh, occults and cults in horror. There's a a mystery about them, especially as to why these um, people are worshipping the devil mm. essentially i think you see it a bit in um hereditary for example sure yeah um and and rosemary's baby obviously you know, like denounce the idea of denouncing god for a sort of knowledge and uh, riches and all of that there is a sort of i, I guess a selfishness you know to it from well, these people like... which is why they're depicted as the villains in these sure. movies. Well, there's a notion of like existentialism like a lot of like cultures especially in the west is really influenced by 
the idea of God is dead and the, you know the, yeah. the Superman and all of this stuff. Yeah, um, which which heavily <coughs> comes up in Rosemary's Baby, especially yes. you know, yeah, and, and that came out quite a significant time in the late sixties when people were a lot of people were rejecting religion and there was a lot of anxiety about that from a lot of people. Where, yeah, where's the next? And it's funny, you know, the same time happened at the time of Manson and you know the summer of '69 and the hippie movement was mm. just about dying. Yeah, Vietnam and people mm. needed a new outlet. And people saw this thing as the next new, you know, people would drop acid and go visit Anton LaVey up in the castles yeah. and, you know, somewhere. And, and that's really what occultism was about. And it's, yeah, occultism has kind of a lot of offshoots within cinema. You have, like, the schlock exploitation. You have highbrow, you know, art house. Yeah. And you have real occultism. Yeah. Anton LaVey, Alistair Crowley, um, Kenneth Anger. Mm. Okay. History lesson. And just a, one last quick seguitur. Um, at the beginning of House of the Devil. Not a word. Is that not a word, seguitur? Segway, segway, or, segway. Um, non sequitur. Yeah, this isn't segwitter. Well, okay, we're coining sequitur. Okay, yeah. Go um, on. At the beginning of House of the Devil, where it goes, you know, eighty percent of the US thought yeah. believed in uh, cults. It was really Ricky Kaiso who um, was one of the real moral panics that kickstarted all of this. Who I don't know if you've heard of the band Acid King. I don't think so. Well, he was called the Acid King because him and his mates basically dropped acid in the woods murdered a young girl and it was broadcasted as a satanic ritual he then killed himself people like richard marirez the night stalker another famous so-called occultist um judas priest another band uh messages good band and iron maiden um so this all kind of created like a zeitgeist in within you know the moral panic of satanic panic it's coming for you you know um you know like there was a whole thing in schools that apparently you know there was satanic abuse cults Mm. And all of most of this was just nonsense. It was either kids on the fringe, drug burnouts, and you know, yeah. same you know like the video nasties. You know, these kids are watching these movies. And exactly. Like, oh, yeah. kill people. Okay. Well, no, no, that's interesting. That you, that you, you know, like you said, uh, whatever the word you just um, sequitur. Sequitur. <laughs> but that was quite a good segue to the start of the movie because yeah, like you say, it it comes up with saying seventy percent of um, people believed in cults, and then. Um, there's something else I didn't write it down and then it says at the at the end based on a true story which of course yeah. it sort of is but isn't well it's I think that's an interesting because this film is so I'll talk a little bit about um, the plot before we get into um, you know the, the influences of this film and um, what it's I guess you know what it's trying to accomplish uh, so the film is, the protagonist of this film um, I did write down name sam samantha 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 Samantha. yeah so she's um a college student she um is just about to move into this new house because uh, sam can't get into her room when at the beginning of the film because her roommate's got a guy in there so she's desperate to move out and she finds this uh house um which is which that's the opening of the film she's looking around this house um and she gets this house and then she's like i need to pay for this house um, and she, yeah, she doesn't need, she's strapped for cash, uh, and she sees a flyer for a babysitting job. So she, she takes this, she takes the number from this flyer, she calls up a, a payphone, and the guy's not there, so she leaves a message. And then the person calls back on this payphone, so she walks back, and, um, the person says, I'll, I'll, um, are you interested in the babysitting job? He's immediately very creepy and mm-hmm. weird, and, um, it, uh, the character played by Tom Noonan he, he just proceeds the Man Hunter Man Hunter yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and yeah, yeah, Heat yeah. as well he plays another similar creepy character in Heat uh, okay okay I don't, I don't remember him in Heat but um okay fair enough he's uh yeah sort of um 
I think, I think an actor who was quite uh, prolific in the 80s. A lot of these people, even the, uh, the landlord lady at the beginning, is in you know The Hills of Eyes, The Howling, Kuzo, uh, Critters. I thought I recognised Yeah, her. yeah, she's really famous, okay. yeah. Okay, Same enough. with the wife of uh, Tom Noon's Tom character. Yeah, okay, so they, they did some interesting casting here with, um, yeah, actors who were fam maybe faded actors who were, did a lot of work in um, the 70s and 80s, especially mm -hmm. in horror. Meta-textuality. Yes, and yeah, we'll, more on that shortly. But yeah, she gets the call from Tom Noon and he says, um, I'll meet you outside the um, student office or something. She goes there and he's not there. Um, so she um, goes and has, um, goes for lunch, goes and gets pizza with, with, with her friend. Which yeah. I completely forgot she was in this film. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah. like, what? She's that great going. Yeah, 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 she's really, really good in this film. Yeah, but you know, years before she was, um, you know, directing and making Lady Bird and uh, Little Women. I suppose I think she's probably she's well, she was known at this point, but um, maybe not not as well known as she is today. Um, so then, eventually, she calls back. She goes back to her room, and um, a terrible roommate says, "Oh, you got a missed call from some guy." He goes, "Who was called?" Oh, I don't know. Again, her roommate is just um, so irritating in this film. So she gets in touch with Tom Noonan again. He says, oh, sorry, uh, something came up, um, but I would still very much like you to um, do this babysitting job. If you come to this address later, I'll, um, you know, it's just for one evening. We'll give you the details. So she goes there with uh, Greta Gerwig. They get there to this creepy house in the middle of nowhere. I did make, I sort of, as I was taking notes on this film, I made a list of um, all the sort of tropes. So creepy house um, in the middle of nowhere, around the corner from a graveyard. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. She, they knock on the door. Tom Noonan is just really, really got a really walking creepy. stick in it as well. He's got he's... a walking stick. Um, he's he's very he's very creepy. He's very weird and mysterious. They they go in and um, sit down, and he says to Sam, "I've not been completely honest with you." It's not a babysitting job. You'll be um, essentially house sitting and looking after my mother, who's upstairs. And she initially says, I, "I don't think this is for me. You know, I don't have any. I'm not a carer. I don't have any training for this." And he goes, "I give you a hundred dollars." And then she goes, "No, I, re I really don't feel comfortable with this." And then it, it keeps, it keeps just, he keeps raising the number. Eventually, he says, "I'll give you four hundred dollars uh, for one night for one night's work. You're not even going to see my mother. She's upstairs. We'll be back in." four or five hours or so, they set her up as being strapped for cash. So she says, okay, one evening and I can afford this new house and escape my terrible roommate. What's the worst that could happen? What could possibly happen what could in possibly a film go wrong? The House of the Devil? Exactly. And she says it's a great girl, but she says, I'm, I'm doing the job. Um, and she says, we said, <coughs> if this was weird and creepy, we would leave. And this is incredibly weird and creepy. So great, but she says, okay, I'm, no, I'm, I'm doing this. I need the money. Greta Gerwig leaves. She um, pulls up to the side of the road to light a cigarette, and someone knocks at her window with a lighter. Mm -hmm. And he's just, just off. She's trying to light a cigarette, and he just sticks his hand in the window. He does, and tries yeah. to light it for her. Um, and then he says, "Are you the babysitter?" And then she says, "No, I'm the babysitter's friend." And he shoots her in the head, and it's really graphic. Actually, it comes out of nowhere, and there's some really good practical effects. Of Greta it's all Gerwig. practical effects. In this I think it is. Yeah. yeah, it definitely seems like that. Yeah, Greta Gerwig's head is her face is completely blown off. It's a good. <laughs> it's really um. Really good bit of gore that um, comes out of nowhere. Moves about ninety minutes. I think it's quite well structured in a way, even though I Agreed. think the um, middle part does drag a little bit. I, intentionally so, I think. About thirty minutes in, Greta Gerwig gets killed off, and then for the next thirty minutes, it's pretty much just um, Sam walking around this house. She calls Greta Gerwig a couple of times and says uh, and, and gets her answering machine. 
So she's a little concerned that Gregor was just not made at home. With good reason. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, slightly creepy stuff starts to happen as she's looking around uh, this house. She, there's a bit where she finds a, a photo of them with a different car and they, they, she realises they've lied about the car they have. Same with the wife. He says he's going to go upstairs to talk to the wife and the wife appears. Yeah, and she comes from downstairs. She finds her fur coat in yeah. the other room. So the, she, she, there's, yeah, more and more hints that they have not been honest with her about who they are. Or that She orders the pizza which they set up and then the guy who delivers the pizza is the guy who killed Greta Gerwig earlier. Um, so... Again, we know that, that something is not quite right here. Um, there's a few other... This bit I did think dragged a bit. Um, I think it's because this film, we'll get to more later, but it's made to look... It's set in sort of the late 70s, early 80s, I think. It is made to look... It is shot and sort of, sort of directed. 35mm. Yeah, so it's got a grainy sort of look to it. There's a few sort of like um, fades and like zooms that, you know, hark back to old styles of filmmaking. Elliot Rocket. The cinematographer, right? Okay, I, and I really good job. Actually. Yeah, and and the title sequence as well, as uh, you know, with the uh, yellow sort the of writing and stuff, and the flash frames. Yeah, it's very much made to look like a film that was made in the late seventies. And I think the the slight sort of drag in the middle act is intentional because it's harking back to films like this, films like um, When a Stranger Calls. Mm-hmm. Which isn't great. It's, you know, it's not first like, ten minutes is great. Yeah, and then it's um, just going back to Scream. That's a, that, that was a, the it, opening of Scream is a reference to uh, a Strange Call. So it's paying homage to a lot of older movies, and it, I think it does this very well. I think it, in terms of the way it looks, in terms of the acting, um, particularly Tom Noonan um, and the woman who plays his wife, their performances are you know quite um, theatrical, I yes. suppose, and and dramatic, um, and more later but um the actress who plays sam looks remarkably like jessica harper i'm so glad you said that from, i'm from, so glad you said totally that. from yeah. suspiria yeah. and and there's a shot towards the end of the film which is a direct reference to the ending of suspiria yeah. so yeah i think that even though the middle act drags a little bit i think it does build tension quite well and it's supposed to be a little bit slow but there are things some really quite creepy moments the bit where she goes up to the bath and she pulls back the curtain and you see her like, mm. and you're like, what is in the bar? You think, is it a body? Is it going to regret a girl's body or something? And it's just hair. Yeah. And it, that yeah. really, really made my skin crawl, actually. Really? There's loads of little hair in this bath. You're just like, what the fuck? Like, why is there loads of hair in this bath? You, you know, you're just not expecting it. And I, I did find it quite unsettling. Um, so that is about, and then about an hour into the movie, um, she finally goes upstairs to where the mother is sleeping because I think she can hear something she can hear she like, hear like groaning or something yeah but um, she, she passes out though she passes yeah as she goes upstairs and she sees the, the door slowly open and a creepy hand sort of come back she she passes out because mm. yeah the, the pizza that's been delivered has been dropped well the the, the moment is another reason as, as an audience member that we don't see where she's looking around the house then camera pans into the room where there's the pentagram and then I'm assuming it's three I'm I'm assuming was it the owners of the house before? Maybe, yeah, yeah. She, they probably <laughs> completely forgot about that. I mean, yeah, they, she doesn't see them, but we see um, the camera pans over, and there are three dead bodies in this room with a sort of occult symbol mm. uh, on the floor. So you know, even if it wasn't glaringly obvious to the audience, I mean, the film's called The House of the Devil. At this point, we realise that yeah, the, these guys are cult members, and that our protagonist is ultimate probably going to be part of some kind of sacrifice yes. and lo and behold after she's drugged she wakes up and she's um tied to they're in the basement and she's tied to a table um wearing this white nightgown um then the tom noonan and his wife 
come home wearing, as does the guy who um, delivered the pizza. It's who, the I, son. I think it's implied that it's their son, yeah. Um, and they come in in cloaks that, you know, we realise obviously now they are part of some satanic cult. And their mother, the mother that she's been looking after, comes downstairs. And actually, this was the second time I watched this when I watched it. And I I remembered the gist of it, but I didn't remember everything. So the mother is essentially some kind of demon, yeah. right? She is yeah. an actual, like, deformed monster. Yeah. And then what she does, she cuts her hand, she pours, um, a, she pours her blood into this, like, Deep, it's, it looks like a sort of... Uh, it's like a sheep skull. It's like a, I think it is a sheep skull, isn't it? She pulls the blood in the sheep skull and force feeds Sam the, the blood while she's uh, tied down and makes a mark on her stomach mm. as well. We're not entirely sure what's going on at this point. There's, they're doing some ritual. Uh, then Sam escapes from the rope. They cleared it <laughs> like, really easily all of a sudden. She, es- <laughs> she uh, manages to, uh, to escape. Uh, she, she runs off. She, um, she runs up the stairs as well. And, you know, usually in a horror movie, obviously it's a classic trope that you don't go up the stairs, you go out the front door. It's intentional on this because it is paying homage. I mean, there's always a fine line between paying homage and um, ripping off. I think, yeah. it's got, I think it's filmed very much just pays. It's very much its own thing. It is totally its own thing. Yeah. Uh, so she... She runs upstairs. Um, she manages to kill all of the other characters apart from Tom Noonan's character. Uh, then she runs outside. Tom Noonan follows. He's been wounded. He's, she's managed to stab him in the stomach, mm. but he's he's still alive. Um, they go outside, and throughout this, Sam, it, she's getting flashes of the demon mother's face, uh, which reminds me of the Exorcist. You know, it's almost subliminal-like faces in, in surrounded by darkness. Um, and she's realizing that she's becoming possessed yeah. by uh, this by this demon mother figure. Um, the we, we didn't mention at the beginning, but this whole this whole night is taking place uh, during an eclipse. Yes, yes. I, I was wondering. You probably know a little bit more about occult the occult in general than than me. What what is the significance of the eclipse? Do you think? Uh, so I think it's like the idea of like the Earth resetting. So like okay. you know, with October and Halloween, like Samhain, which is like a pagan tradition yeah. it's the idea of like the earth is resetting people are celebrating not the earth dying but the things things being reset mm. and like uh okay rebirth rebirth yeah, yeah. Rebirth. okay because well that that will we'll get onto the ending shortly um but she uh, tom Lynn's saying the eclipse is is near being vague about it but he's sort of saying you know the possession is almost complete essentially she's managed to get a gun at this point um to take out a couple of her captors um and before Tom can stop her, and before the eclipse is complete, and before she, the possession, I suppose, is is complete, she shoots herself in the head. It cuts to a hospital. She's survived the bullet wound. Um, she's in a coma. I think her head's all bandaged up, and uh, the nurse says to her, "Don't worry, you'll be okay, both of you." Which I'd forgotten about. I'd forgotten. Great that. ending. So yeah, I thought that was really good. Yeah. So she is. The, and and then the film ends as there's as um credits as as it's a shot of her lying on bed and the the credits roll as that I did watch to the end to see if she moved or opened her eyes or anything if yeah. anything happened nothing happens no. just a still frame I think it is just a still frame yeah um which again uh, movies in the seventies used to end like that didn't they rather than a cut to black or credits it mm-hmm. would be a it would be a freeze frame and the credits would run over that so yeah and again that's an obvious Rosemary's baby she is essential the implication is that she is now pregnant with the Antichrist yes I think that's what their cult was about that's what they were trying to do and that is what's happened that's what they've they, done because they <laughs> I actually forgot because um, in a lot of films have um, you know a, 
cults and occultists, but the supernatural and the, the Antichrist and the devil is not always actually a presence in these films. And we're, we're going to talk about Kill List in a sec. I don't think there's anything supernatural about that film, I think. A Kill List? I don't oh, think absolutely. So. No, no, yeah, nothing, nothing. No, no, no. It's, it's very much based in reality. In this, I'd forgotten that it's very much real. The, you know, the demons, the, the, the occult, the, the, the devil, essentially, the house of the devil, it is very much real in the world of this film. We've talked a lot about the plot and the films that it references. I think that's very much a homage, you know, a celebration of uh, older 70s and 80s horror movies and occult horror movies. I think the biggest influence is the urban, the babysitter urban legend, I'm you know, when they're getting, this. you know, have you checked yeah. the children? Yeah. Um, and yeah, and uh, When a Stranger Calls is, is also um, very influential. Interestingly, um, you know, Inside Number Nine. Sure. There's an episode of Inside Number Nine in the first season called The Harrowing, which came out after this movie, which has almost the exact same plot. I actually okay. went back and watched it because they're all on iPlay. I thought they were on Netflix, but they took them off Netflix. They were on Netflix or something. They were once upon a time, but um, all episodes. That's a quick plug for Inside Number Nine because it's a fantastic TV yeah. show. But yeah, there was an episode of Inside Number Nine that follows. Almost the exact same, because that's what I kept thinking about was watching it. This is, this is an episode of Inside Number Nine. I think both of those films are influenced by um, urban legends and the occults mm -hmm. in general. I didn't like it too much the first time I watched it, but I liked it a lot more the second time once I knew where it was going and what it was trying to do, really. But what did you think of this film? I'm really torn because on the surface, I like it. I love the cinematography. I love mm. the characters. I kind of like what it's going for. I like mm. all of that. But even like when I was watching, I was like, this isn't, I don't know. It just isn't slapping for me. Like, I get that the middle section is meant to be slow, but I mm. think, because first time I watched it, I loved it up until the bit I was telling you, when she broke the plant pot. Yeah. And she got her headphones on. And I thought it was me just being an old man. <laughs> but I, I don't think I bought it in terms of like, I didn't believe that was her character. Okay. All the way through the film, she's very meek and very mild, mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden, she makes herself very at home in this yeah. house. And I yeah. maybe and I, I the same moment I kind of detached from the film. Okay. And it was a shame because I I was with it all the way, and you know I love the aesthetic, cinematography is great. Yeah. It did put a smile, I, you know, I put it on. I was like, yeah. yeah, and I was like, yeah, okay, it's a bit I didn't like, and oh, okay. still I'm not. It didn't quite click for you. But even the bit where Greta Gerwig gets her face shot off and mm. he just appears out of nowhere, there was part of me that goes, okay, but how did he know? Why? Yeah. And I shouldn't be thinking that in you a film be like noticing. this. Yeah, maybe that's something that didn't... Yeah, to be fair, there are um, plot holes, you could say, and things that don't make sense. I mentioned her. Escape, you know, all of a sudden being sure. able to escape from sure. the... Um... I didn't actually notice that. Uh, okay, well, I think there are... Yeah, there are plot holes and things you can pick apart. But I think it's always a sign of a good film if that doesn't bother you or if you don't notice that because every film has plot holes. Of course, of course. Um, and no, it, it didn't bother me in this. I was definitely, um, I believe, yeah, I, I thought she was a great protagonist, a great final girl as, she as was, well. Right? You know, she she she, she takes them all out. Um, yeah, to mention Suspiria, the um, to come back to that when she is holding the kitchen knife in the White Nightingale and covered in blood. Yeah, it's just it, the exact same shot as. Yeah. Uh, Jessica Harper at the end of Suspiria. And yeah, Suspiria is, is a classic. It's one of your favourite movies. I'm sure we'll talk about it one day in more Great depth. Detail. But that, yeah, that is a very um, important film in horror and in occult horror in general. Big time, big time, yeah. Um, and again, yeah, yeah, all of this is echoed in House of the Devil. But I, I don't know, there's just something about it that just doesn't... And I feel bad saying that. I preferred it more this time round. Okay. But I still didn't... 
if anything, I don't know, maybe it could have been a little longer or the middle bit where they're building things, because it is creepy. Mm. There is definite atmosphere, which I love, but it yeah. misfires slightly. And it's such a shame because there's so much in it that I like. Um, yeah. That it's just a shame that it kind of, just little things kind of derail it for me. But also I thought it was, it was kind of cool that, um, you know, Mumblecore. Yeah. Okay, so Mumble Gore. Yeah, mumble gore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, it's got people. So the mumble gore uh, genre for, for people who wouldn't know is a film movement which started in sort of the um, mid to late two thousands. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of films which were made sort of with, with micro budgets um, and with this sort of improv, um, a lot of improv by the actors and uh, Ty, Ty West, uh, Adam Wingard, uh, Greta Gerwig, and one. Greta Gerwig as well. And, Same um, with Ben Wheatley. And yeah, well, we'll get to that. Yeah, and uh, Leonard Dunham as well, who yes. actually cameos in this. Unfortunately, the, um, yeah, you're yeah. not a fan of. I, as as <laughs> a person, a, as a, yeah, there's a lot she's of a, to like. Gels was great. I remember watching it with you. Yeah, Gels was great, but her, she is something she's, else. She said a lot of controversial things. <laughs> Done a lot of controversial things. Yeah, well. um, but yeah, she's yeah. They're all um, sort of, yeah important figures in this um, in this style of uh, filmmaking. And yeah, and Mumble Gore, yeah, because Ty West, and then uh, You're Next as well. Of course, um, yes, of course, which, You're which Next. Which I love. Yeah, yeah that's, that's fine. That's that's, that's also in this yeah in this genre. It's I can see why people would maybe not love this film. I think not for the average film goer, not even for the average horror goer necessarily, because sure. I think. You need to know. I think you don't need to know, but you'll appreciate it more if you're a fan of the films that it's referencing and mm-hmm. paying homage to. And I think there is an argument made that if you weren't aware of any of those films, you might not enjoy it. But I don't know as much about those sort of that you know older cult horror films as you do, and I still, I still really really liked it. By the sounds of it, I liked it more than you. You do, and I, I, I you know, I'd give it like three out of five. Okay, I'm not you know. I hate rating films out of five. There's no wiggle room. What do you give it out of ten? Five and a half, six. Okay, five and a half. Because I'd give it a seven out of ten. Okay, I want to. If it was maybe ten minutes longer, and they just or they just change up because I just didn't buy her. I just didn't. So I feel that they let some of the character down by trying to make a equal up with B by building this tension. I feel they mm. could have gone about it in a better, more okay. thought out way that didn't break the verisimilitude of the character. But at midpoint, I was like, yeah, she wouldn't, I don't buy this character doing this. Okay. Um, I think, again, her sort of, you know, with her, with her Walkman, which, you know, it's a lot of nostalgia in here as well. Her, her dance around with her Walkman. Yeah, there is, yeah. That, that is also, that's, I, I, I'm not aware of what it was referencing, but I feel like that must have been referencing something. I feel like that. I just feel it was referencing people in the 80s. Yeah, know? maybe that's it. Um, maybe it's just referencing the 80s. You know, because I feel, yeah, there, there is, there, you know, sure, Suspiria, sure. Uh, the watching, the, she's watching Night of the Living Dead. She is watching Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, she is watching Night of the Living Dead. Yeah. Oh, also, the wife is in Night of the Comet. Okay. Which is very similar to the film itself with the, you know, instead of a comet, it's um, you know, an eclipse. Yeah. Um, echoing of 80s stuff. Nothing specific, but even having people mm. like um, Dee Wallace at the beginning or what have you. I don't know. There's a lot you could read into it. And there's a lot of, ooh, you know, is she, you know, the, the landlady involved at the yeah, beginning. You yeah. know, there's a lot of stuff. Um, and I'm not saying they need to wrap it up, but I, I don't know. I could have done with another 10 minutes or them just rewriting the middle bit that just kind of flowed more. Okay. You know, I love the veneer. I love the surface. Yeah. But, you know, it's almost like a fish and we try and grab at it the further away it goes. Yeah. Not in a wholly satisfying sense for myself. Okay. Okay, fair enough. Well, you know, how boring would it be if we just agreed on everything? Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> right, so, um, yeah, I, yeah I, I do, I like this movie, but um, to be honest, the, the next movie that we're going to talk about 
I do prefer. And I love I this think, next movie. Yeah, I, re I really, really like this next movie, and I, I enjoy it more the more I watch mm -hmm. it. And as I, um, I don't know about you, when, I'm, when we do these episodes a few days before, I watch the movies and I take notes on them. And when watching Kill List, I got so carried away with taking it's notes. Easy. It's I easy. It's easy. I ended up just writing oh, wow. like about three pages of, <laughs> of notes and get, and sort of paused the film and just started googling and trying to read and trying to figure out what is this film about? What is this film okay. saying? So um, I feel like I talked a lot about the last film. So why don't you talk a bit about um, Kill List? Okay. Um, similar to House of the Devil, I feel it does follow in the same vein or uh, the same vein of Mumblegore. There are this is the most mumbly, mumbly movie, film yeah. I have ever seen. I wasn't able to watch it with subtitles, but my I, god, I wish I'd had subtitles. I, I have to watch it because there are lines in it. I sure yeah. really know what they say. It's, <laughs> yeah, they, they are. It's I, I, I like it. I think it's a good. It feels like 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 all Ben Whitley films. It feels um, kind of real. There is there it feels is a very harsh, real. real well, a ki kitchen sink realism. Kitchen, yeah. I think is um, <laughs> before is, a bit. <laughs> yes, well, yeah, for, for for a while it feels very kitchen sink realism. Um, Following in that vein, it uh, starts off with a, a couple who are having an argument about finance and uh, transpires that he is uh, uh, an army vet who went on a, a very disastrous mission in Kiev which is never really explained and his friend played by Michael Smiley he's fantastic in this he's great I love Michael Smiley yes, I love great. Michael Smiley in this he's yeah. great I love his hair um, Michael Smiley and his new wife or girlfriend come round girlfriend Fiona yeah. Fiona thank you for a dinner party played by the woman who's in the phone shop so yeah they have this uh, very British dinner just boggles over this huge argument they will leave, what have you. Uh, they then make up. Uh, they then decide to go on one last job because they, neither of them have any money and they have skills. The two, yeah, so the uh, protagonist, Jay, and uh, Thank Michael you. Smiley. Thank yeah. you, yeah. Um, yeah who, th th so, yeah, they were soldiers together in Kiev. And, yeah, something happens in Kiev. A mission goes very badly. Mm. And they're still suffering from PTSD from that mission. Yes. Well, I think, jumping the gun a little bit, I think this movie is, at its core, about PTSD. Yeah, yeah. I think fundament. I think ultimately that is. I think that's what this movie is. It's saying something about PTSD. But yeah, Jay is clearly suffering from PTSD after this mission. Um, there's a bit early on. He's telling. He's trying to tell his kid a bedtime story, and it just. He just ends up telling him a story about a car bombing. Yeah. That <laughs> happened when he was away. Um, when he was a soldier. Um, so yeah, him and Michael Smiley, they, they're quite ambiguous about what they're, they're going for a job. Initially, you're not actually sure. You're not sure, sure what it is. They what have guns in it. About. There's a shot where they're a gun out in the basement. You're mm. like, okay, so these guys are potential criminals? Yeah, but you, it's, everything is just implied. Yes. But then the movie's called Kill List. Yes. So that, you know, that gives you some idea of what this job. Well, even so, do. you could read into it different before actually seeing it. Yeah. Much like House of well, there is some ambiguity to it until mm. it's, until a scene where they go and meet the contractor, I guess you would call yeah. him. Yeah, the guy who's who's hiring to do this job. They yeah. go to a they go to a hotel. I really, there's nothing creepy about this hotel. But my there's God. one shot where they get out of the car. And there's a a rainbow. Yeah, I noticed them. that shot. Yeah, yeah. I, it's weird. I wasn't sure what it was trying to. What that was. I think they're leaving. Meant. They're leaving like Neverland. You know, they've yeah. stepped up because even the color grading is a little darker, is a little grayer, a little yeah. more. I don't know, concrete smudged yeah um there's, there's another thing about this film that it's, it's it's all very ordinary there's something about it's almost painfully mundane mm. the sort of the set i don't know where it's set or where it was shot i mean I think it's, it's definitely in the uk maybe um, i don't i don't know i know his first film down terrace was uh set in brighton um, yes sort of rural yeah. brighton yeah. so i don't know if um 
I'm not sure whether it's set. It's set by the sea, though, isn't it? There so are moments maybe, maybe by the sea. I yeah. think it maybe it is set in Brighton or near Brighton. Um, but so yeah, they they go to this uh, hotel to meet the guy who's hiring them to do this job. You thought Tom Noonan was creepy in the last film. This guy is the creepy. They look quite similar as well. He just I don't know what he. He's, Old, but he's blonde, but he looks like he's dyed his hair. He's, yeah. he's, he's very, he's got very, weird lips. Everything about him is very. Everything odd. about him is very off putting, um, and that, that is helped by the score of this movie, which it's even calling it a score, it's just like this weird whistling. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. It's a really, really creepy score. I think it, we're bef- um, we didn't mention it at the beginning, but the opening, before the actual opening shot of them, of the um, Janus partner having this blazing row about not having enough money and he's, the fact that he's not worked in eight months. Um, it's just a black screen and we see this symbol being drawn. This sort of, like, it's a, it's a cross and then two other lines and yeah. then a, a circle around it. And we, we never find out what this symbol well, means. Well, right before the end of the uh, scene with the argument happening at the dinner table, Michael Swally's girlfriend goes upstairs yes. and draws this sign on the back of a mirror. And nothing else is said about yeah, it. Yeah, so we know that she is... There is something there's, foul afoot. Yes, they, they, that's the thing. We, we get hints throughout most of the, like, you know, we, we, we never get a lot of clarity. Even at the end, we don't get a, a tremendous amount of clarity, but we just get hints that e- there is something going on. There, mm-hmm. is, there is something, there is more to what we're seeing than just these two men um, going to do this job. And that is, again, reinforced when they meet this creepy-ass uh, contractor who's hiring to do this job. He cuts his hand and then he grabs Jay's hand and cuts that as well and he makes them sign the contract in blood. blood. Yeah. And again, that's not it's not really explained. Jay doesn't Well he doesn't know. He's he's quite because he's quite shocked, isn't he, when he first cuts his hand and then there's a shot of gets infected. Yeah, gets infected. Again later. might be I something. think that well that yeah, that's I think we'll we'll, we'll get onto the deeper thematic um uh, ideas that this film has, but yeah, he, he, this, this, this the guy hires him. He cuts Jay's hand. Jay doesn't really seem to mind that much. He's like, "What the fuck?" And he sort of says, "What the fuck?" But then he sort of shrugs it off pretty easily. Well, I think he's a bit miffed because I think at first, because when they first cut his hand, I think they do have a conversation in the bathroom, and it is hinted that they're not really a hundred percent comfortable. Not that you would be with this situation. Yeah. Um, so then they then embark on this kill list. And it, I like how it kind of chapters each it one. It does. The people there, um, the three people that they've been hired to kill, it comes up on the screen as almost like a title card about mm. um, who they're killing. So the first one is the priest. The priest. When they're sitting there and they're like, oh God, not a priest. And I was like, well, thank God yeah. it's not like a child or something. And there's some real like <laughs> yeah. modern British sense of humour in it. There is, a, there is a, a, a streak of jet black comedy running throughout this film and throughout all of Ben Wheatley's films. Yes. Um, yeah. To be honest, I mean, I mean, you get I think he did sightseers after this, which, which is an avert, which is yeah. an avert um, comedy. Which and before this, Down Terrace, which is a, a gangster film, a British gangster film, but is also yeah, it has some really like laugh out loud funny mm-hmm. moments. Yeah, they're sort of staking out the priest, and um, and that brings another quite key thing to this of religion. Um, yes. So Mike Smiley is. Um, I think he's a lapsed Catholic, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, yeah. and he, he sort of... <laughs> yes, I know I've seen you about to with the dinner plate. Oh, well, no, I wasn't going to, but we'll, we'll get to that um, but when they're in the restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Jimmy yeah. Hendrix, you ain't. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, we're, yeah that, 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 that's, that comes a little bit later. But initially, yeah, they're staking out. Or is that before they go to kill the priest? That's before the priest. So this is actually okay. the build-up to it. and Because um, Michael Smiley has like, put a good word in 
for me to the big man upstairs and um, yeah. what's his name? Jay. Jay. So yeah, but before when they're at the hotel, before they go to do the first job, they're at a restaurant. There is this uh, group of Christians at the table near them. They're being, they're, you know, they're having a very good time. They're being um, very Christian. They're being very, very Christian. <laughs> they're being extremely Christian. They're being a little loud. And Jay and um, Jay and Gal, Michael Smiley's Gary. Gal, thank you, Gal. Um, are talking about how they're quite annoyed. And then one of these Christians pulls out a guitar and Jay, he sort of, in a very matter of fact way, say, "I'm going to kill them all. I'm going to do them all and go do them slow with a button." <laughs> and then once you get once stuff, once this dude starts playing the guitar, um, Jay walks up to him and yeah, grabs the guitar and says. Quite right too. That is just so obnoxious to just start playing, singing, and playing guitar in a in a public mm-hmm. place like this when people are trying to enjoy their meal. Um, so he threatens to smash the plate in their face. He sort of smash the guitar over his yeah, head. Yeah, I think the the Christian guy says um, God's love is quite hard to swallow, and Jay says not as, not as hard as a dinner plate. <laughs> um, which made me laugh. Um, so yeah, then they go to do this job. They have to. They have to kill the priest. And Michael Smiley's character is quite uncomfortable with yes. the fact that they need to kill a priest. And that and Jay's stance is introduced here, but his stance in general is these. I think I actually wrote down um, a quote he says later. He said that they, his name's on the list. That's all there is to it. Oh, Jay okay. doesn't really care about the people. That no. He, as far as he's concerned, this is the job. That this is what they have to do. It doesn't matter who they are. They're there to kill these people whereas Michael Smiley is quite he's much more empathetic he's and I think that's well, that only mainly to this to, to the priest because given it's mm. slightly more justified later on yeah um, but there is a the, the Michael Smiley's more uncomfortable and he isn't the one that kills the priest in this no film. yeah however I don't think Michael Smiley kills anyone in this film not on the hit list not on the list no he doesn't the, the, the first two they, they take out we'll get to the second um, person they take out um, in a bit because that's a hell of a lot more brutal the priest gets a quick bullet to the head mm-hmm. and he's he's done Jay is completely again come back to the theme of PTSD he's completely devoid of any sort of morality yeah. and emotion at this point due to what he's seen in the war he has no qualms whatsoever with killing these people mm-hmm. um Whereas Marcus Marley is a bit more, he, he he's more concerned about it. He, he you know he doesn't want to think that he's just killing a, a priest and essentially innocent man. Um, that also brings us to another hint that there is more going on. Thank you. Than meets the eye. The priest he looks at Jay as he's about as he draws the gun on him. He smiles and he says thank you. We don't know why. There's literally just a, a second reaction shot from Jay where he's like. And then, yeah. and then he just shoots him and that's it. Yeah. And it's actually quite a uh, restraint, even the, the way he's just shot in the head and that's it. You know, mm. no like, big visceral yeah. splatter or anything. <laughs> As opposed to the next, the next person one. they kill. So the next one, the librarian, again, they're staking out the, um, they're, they're, you know, they follow their, the people on this list around. I love those scenes, there. actually. I like it's the fact that it's, it's the, the, you know, uh, hitmen and contract killers, they're often portrayed in, in a lot of films and media as, you know, being this... Except, you know, like the Hitman's bodyguard for sure. Example, sure, you know, it's, a, it's just the first film that sprung to mind. But even John Wick or something yeah. like that, which obviously you know that's yeah. incredible. Which brings in the mumblecore element to this film, where it's just these two guys. Yeah, just... it's the uh, kitchen realism, but it's gang, but it's Hitman. It's yeah. um, it's you know, um, contract killers. But it really shows the sort of how the unglamorous, you know, them checking into a hotel, them just sitting in a car and watching their victims and stuff. It's a very presumably realistic depiction mm. of what it is like to actually be. A hitman. It's not glamorous. It's not exciting. It's you know, pretty, pretty, pretty bleak and pretty 
dull and, you know, it's work. It's, at the end of the day, it's, it's work. Um, so they're staking out the library and they see him come out of this, um, uh, this building, this sort of shed thing almost, and they go inside to check it's it like out. It's like a warehouse, isn't it's it? It's like a warehouse, yeah. So they go and see what is in this warehouse. They find a bunch of porn and then they find, we don't see, we, we find a video. They're watching this video, and we don't see what's on it. We just see their reaction. Well, you can hear because because you can hear screaming. Jane sees it, and then it just it just breaks down. You can hear like yeah. a younger girl screaming. It's heavily implied that it's child, child porn, yes, yeah. yeah. child sex ring. So that once they discover that, they go to the librarian's house. They've got a killer ready, but they um, they torture him and demand to know where the video was shot. It's a brutal scene. Hammer, they, they, kneecaps. They smash his kneecaps in with hammers. They break his hands. Jay burns him with cigarettes. Oh, yeah. Really, yeah, really, yeah, yeah. Like, really violent scene. Max Bunny's character, Gal, leaves. And even, he's, you know, this, this librarian, he's been beaten within an inch of his life. But as soon as Gal leaves, he goes to Jay and he says, does he know? Does he know who you are? And Jay doesn't know what the guy is talking about. And then he goes, and then again, the guy thanks him. Right before he right before his head he in. bashes his skull in with a with a hammer, which is very well done. I think. I just love that bit of skin. It just there's a bit yeah. of skin that flies and it just cuts. <laughs> you know, it's, but because Gal goes upstairs because he says where the money is. Yeah. But there's also a shot where he you can see Gal is now starting to worry about about Jay about Jay's yeah mental, about Jay's mental state. Yeah. yeah because then he's after, enjoying it at this point. Yes, exactly. This 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 librarian is a, a paedophile and a, a, a child pornography. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Merchant. Merchant. Is, that, is that the word? I don't know. Kind <laughs> of the uh, exact terminology, but yeah, we'll go with that. Jay is still very much enjoying it. Yeah, and then they go to the. Incidentally, when um, Marcus Marley goes upstairs and gets the money from this guy's out the safe, he finds a file on them. He finds yes. a file of yes. them yes. on Kia. So the, these people, they know a lot. They know about mm. um, Jay and Gal. They know about what happened in Kiev, which we, we the audience never we get don't. any details on. We just know it was a. Um, a botch a job. A botch job, yeah. That's, I went um, really, really, really wrong. Yes, which I think is, you know, why Jay is suffering from PTSD. It's about whatever happened in uh, Kiev. But then after they kill the librarian, they go to the... the they, they, so they talk to the librarian and sort of gives them the name of where this um, snuff film, this child pornography video was shot. And we don't actually... We, we get there, Jay goes in. At this point, we stay with Michael Smiley's character. I also noticed that the camera, the way they shoot it changes. It goes to a handheld camera and we're sort of following around Gal almost like someone is watching mm -hmm. him, you know, um, which I did find quite... Um, which I think they are at this point. I think because now think the audience yeah. is aware that <laughs> there's now there is a some, narrative that, yeah. that's at least 10 pieces ahead of us. There is something going on. And it reminded me a bit Oh, you know, we'll um, go in more depth in. Remind me a bit of um, Hereditary, how... Okay. Spoilers for Hereditary, but in Hereditary, the our protagonists are never in control. The the cult is pulling the strings the entire yeah. time, and I think that's the same here. There yeah. is the, the... You're playing catch-up. Yeah. Same with House of the Devil as well. I think both of these yeah. are very similar. You are, the audience is playing catch-up. Yes. It's almost... It's almost the... the, the, the it's almost a MacGuffin, yeah. because in the realm of the film, the bad guys already know what happens is already set in stone almost, you know. They go to this place because uh, Jay is insistent, even though these people are not on the list, Jay's like, no, we've got to kill these people. They're bad people, gal. They're bad people, gal, yeah. He says to gal, come, if I'm not back in 20 minutes, come get me. Gal's sort of hanging around, He's, something's going on. There was a shot, I thought, I don't know if it was, it could be a complete accident, but I, there's a car behind gal at one point, which is there. I th again, I think they're, they're just, 
subtle hints that they're being watched, that there is something else going on. Gal eventually goes in and finds Jay right at the end of brutally Really beating, bloody, really Basically bloody. just, yeah, bashing this guy's face in. Just, you know, brutally murdering him with his bare hands. And just and, shoots him in the head. And then just shoots him. And he's really enjoying it. He's yeah. really enjoying killing these people. And Michael, Smiley's character, is worried. He's a little disturbed. He's like, you need, you know, you need help, mate. And they sort of fall out at this point a little bit. And so they're not, they're not finishing the job. Um, later on, they go to the contractor, the, the guy who's hired him, and says, says, we're not doing it. And then they says, if you don't do this, we're going to kill you. Mm. Uh, so then eventually they do and we're going to kill you and we're going to kill your entire family uh, later we'll on we'll kill everyone you love or something it's yeah. Like, yeah. we also find out halfway about about that they uh, at the hotel and he Jay calls his wife they're on a, a Skype call or whatever and he mentions that Fiona Gail's girlfriend came to the house and gave their son a present mm-hmm. which I don't think I picked up on before but then we um, yeah so we learn that this Fiona who we know is involved in she appears out the window she does when he looks out the window and she's just staring at him and it's funny how he doesn't mention anything to Gao about it no he doesn't he never Um, mentions it but it's funny at the beginning of the film where he calls her a ghoul yeah and he was like don't ever talk about she works for HR that's right yeah she does work for HR that's right yeah (laughs) which again all these little hints works Mm. for HR what kind of HR who you know she's pushing actual people you know what I mean there's all these very British sort of like um Double meanings or not. Exactly, yeah. But then he sees her out the window at one point when they're in the hotel. Do you think that really happened, though? Because I think it wasn't until this viewing that I really started to question how much we should, how much we should be trusting Jay's... So he's, Is he an unreliable narrator, potentially? So I think at this point, I think, I, I think the film is definitely setting him up as an unreliable narrator. I don't think the film is that concerned in did this happen or did this not happen. Because yeah. I, I think it is... Mostly, the thing that I really love, love about this film is that it's all from Jay's perspective. Yes, crucial. Um, and I think at this point, the film is just like free-flowing in terms mm. of like horror after horror. Yeah. Um, and at this point, it doesn't really matter that his psyche's so broken yeah. um, that it just everyone's out to get him. Yeah. And when he gets back home, there's a present waiting for him in the form of a rabbit hung outside of his house. Was that it's a cat. It's, it's cat. a cat. It's a cat. They're, they're pet cat. Yeah. So they're yeah, they, you, you get home after they've decided they don't want to do the job. They get home and they're uh, yeah. Does he eat? No, he doesn't he eat. Oh, he finds it early in the early on in the film. Um, their cat brings a dead rabbit That's into the right, garden, yeah. and his wife says, "Get rid of it in case no, so it. it." I thought he was joking. I mean, you sort of think he's joking, and then the next shot is him actually cooking this rabbit with some onions and garlic. Which has a lot of like uh, foreshadowing. Yes, there's a lot of foreshadowing in the beginning. There is a lot of foreshadowing. With- with their so at the beginning, which also sorry not to, not to cut, but just just to emphasize my point about it, it's all from his point of view when he's watching the uh, the mother and the, the son fight with knives. Yeah, it's all done in a slow mo thing, and it's from his point of view, mm. which again, sure, a lot of foreshadowing, but at the same time could also be after shadowing what happened in Kiev and his yeah. mental state. So I don't think the film is 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 actually that concerned with this is definitely that and that is definitely that. Yeah. I think it is all just this kind of. Um, just in the mind of someone who is just well, slowly yeah. screaming. And the way the film particularly beginning is edited, especially in the first sort of 10 minutes or so, there's a lot of very sort of like sudden, you know, like sudden cuts mm. and then like sort of cuts to black, which lasts just a little bit too long. It's almost like these are fragmented memories mm. of, of Jay. It's um, very fragmented. The whole film yeah. is very fragmented. Which, which led me to, before the ending of the film, because the, you know, the third act, because again, with this, this is a horror film. It's not horror film to the third act. Eventually, yeah, after they... Are threatened by their contractor, 
they find it, yeah, their cat is strung up outside. He's taking that to mean, okay, you know, they're threatening us basically. And his wife and kid go to stay with their mother um, at this point. I did think it was interesting as well. Like a lot of these films, he's, you know, we'd usually have the husband hiding what he does from his partner. His partner is fully aware that yeah. he's going out and killing people. And yeah. This is what he does. Um, and she, you know, essentially condones it, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah well, I think that... It, it, and interestingly, she's also from a military background, isn't she? So she's, that's right. she's Swedish. She was in the Swedish army. That's and she, right. And, yeah. um, and towards the end as well, she takes out a couple of um, a couple of bad guys. A couple of goons. Couple of goons. And she's so, actually yeah. very, like, believable with the way she kind of throws yeah. around her body with it. Well, I think the film is literally peppered and covered with amoral characters. Yes. Um, you know, it's... <laughs> the thing I love about it, again, there's that real kitchen sink realism, like, cine verite, that there, there is a kind of... Slightly, ah, oh, you know, it, it's almost like two kitchen sink. It's very grey and very bleak. Yeah. And you're kind of saying John Wick jumping in slow-mo. It's like, bang, you're dead. Yeah. And, you know, it's grey and bleak and a bit Sunday morning yes. feeling. And it, there's a, yeah, it, it doesn't romanticise. No, there is a very, it's a down-to-earth down to sort of quality, mm. yeah. Um, the next hit, uh, shortly before that as well, because as we mentioned earlier, the cut on his hand that he gets from the um, their contractor at the beginning becomes infected. Which you know is I took as a symbol for you sure. know the the violence and the stuff is oh, is, 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 is infecting him and corroding his soul essentially yeah because he gets this rash yeah he does as well which is never explained why he gets that and he goes to the doctor um, and the doctor asks him a few questions and then it's a new doctor as well he says what happened to the other doctor and the doctor says don't worry about that and he sort of like you know shows it off and like, it doesn't matter and the doctor says something. It's like there is no past and there is no future. There is only this moment. Mm -hmm. He's a weird doctor. He's a doctor who we just hasn't seen before. And again, we get the impression he's probably he's part of what is going on. He is because he's, he's at he's at, and then, he's and at then the he's end. at the end as well. So the doctor is part of this, guy. and that reminded me a bit of a Rosemary's Baby. Oh yes, yeah. How their yeah their doctor is in on it. Um, and also again, hereditary. The people from this cult are everywhere and in complete control of what is going on. So yeah, the the final job, the MP. The MP, which I also like, because there is a bit of a sense of humour with that. It does kind of bring in the whole, you know, <laughs> lizard people, and they, you know, yeah. so they go and stake out near an MP's villa. I guess it's a big like yeah in the and woods. There is a bit of social commentary there. They sort of yeah, he's in this huge house in yeah. the middle of nowhere, and um, and Gal says it's you know it's not right for one person to, own, to, yeah. to be living in all that. So then, and you know, Jay is struggling financially with money. They're working class. They're, they're, they're definitely saying something about that, about capitalism potentially and the class, um, sure. class differences sure. and wealth. Yeah. Sure. Well, I also think, you know, it, it is kind of referencing on this whole thing about, you know, how the aristocracy, you know, they're feeding off you yeah. know, the, the hard working backs of the working class. Um, and again, I think it, there is also like a very black sense all the way through it of this whole, oh, of course, the MP is the last hit. Yeah. And that's when it all goes wrong because we're all waiting there. Cuts, next thing, there's a girl being led out. In so they're yeah they're they're, out, they're staking out the house in the middle of the woods. Um, they start to hear they hear the whistling. drum. They're whistling and drum. They hear whistling and drum. And the, the the score that we were talking about earlier, which is the score, I noticed changes a bit. It's it, it, there's there's a point there's points early on with this this weird creepy whistling is the score and almost just the ambience of what's mm. um, you know a, a backdrop. And the, the score changes halfway through when it's a bit more of a conventional score, I yeah. suppose, and it's almost a bit uh, you know kind of like. There's a sadness to it, I mm -hmm. think. Um, but this whistling that we heard at the beginning of the film, we start to hear that in the woods, and Jay hears it, and they look around. This is where the like procession. The yeah, this is where the occult horror comes um, <laughs> into full focus. People with torches and masks, 
Um, some of them are naked. Why are cults always naked in movies? I I think it's like... Well, it all started with The Wicker Man, didn't it? Like, this I film guess. is basically The Wicker Man. We haven't even talked about The Wicker Man, but uh, yeah. This um, film if, is if the, the House of the If The House of the Devil was referencing um, some older satanic, 80s satanic panic horror films, this film is yeah heavily influenced by uh, the, the Wicker Man, yeah, which is about a very religious policeman who goes um, to this remote, it's like Isle of Man or something, yeah, I yeah, think, yeah, yeah. goes to this sort of um, remote island out in the middle of nowhere um, to investigate a girl who's gone missing, and it turns out that everyone in this place, everyone in this uh, society um, are part of a cult, and they have killed this girl, and they ultimately burn him, kill him as well, spoiler alert for a movie that's like 50 years old. Yeah, and the, the, the title of the film kind of just ruined the Well, any DVD, any DVD you buy now is the, is the, is the ending of the film yeah. and being burned in yeah, there. Christopher Lee um, in the back. Exactly, the yeah. Um, but, so, yeah. Um, so the girl being led out into the funeral procession, she's hung, Jay starts firing, yeah. and instantly becomes this insane, crazy horror film with these yeah. people with masks on and they're screaming. They're sort of screaming. They're wearing masks and they're screaming like wood. monsters. They've got like yeah. wooden masks on. They've got these creepy wooden masks, yeah, and they chase them down into these tunnels. Yes. And that's, again, before even though there's creepy stuff going on, this is it's a very unsettling film, it becomes a full-on horror film at this point. I did find it quite scary, to be honest. Well, it's very claustrophobic when they go yeah, into those Yeah, I think any, any, any film that's set in... And know, just torchlight as well. ...and um, stuff where you can't really see what's going on. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for that. Claustrophobic. Yeah. So uh, they then split up or are broken apart uh, in the tunnels. Actually, the first real sad part of the film yeah. where Gail is disemboweled... He's, yeah, the, the, this, this cultist um, jumps on him and brutally stabs him and you can see his organs and everything it's quite a very um it's quite a brutal scene and uh, yeah then he manages to shoot him in the head and then yeah and then jay finds him and he sort of and gal says i'm i'm, I'm done just just finish, just, me just finish me off yeah and jay and it's the only time in the film where jay shows any Some sense of compassion yeah. Or emotion when he's got a yeah, essentially mercy kill his friend and like yeah, it's I've, actually a really sad scene. You, yeah, um, you really grow to sort of particularly I think Gal in this film because he's almost like the he's kind of the voice of reason. Yes. throughout the film, he's the one who's trying to sort of say to Jay, you need you know you need help. Well, he's more caring than his wife. He, yeah, you know, he's almost like a buddy movie. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. At, at the heart. Yeah, and it is yeah, it's it's very sad when he, when Jay's got to kill him and at that and I think that but that's significant for. Gal dying at that point because he was almost like his moral James compass, moral compass yeah. Yeah. in a sense and 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 now he's dead and then so he goes home he he, he gets out the tunnels and he goes um, great shot where he's just walk, he's talking about hard cuts he just yeah. walks out and there's this like screaming soundtrack of just this one shot of him just walking out of yeah. the tunnels it's great it really it is, yeah. sucker punches now you're in a horror film yeah now this is like the last 15 20 minutes this is horror yes um so he goes he's sort of, he's yeah, he goes back to get his wife and stuff, and he's, um, you know, Gal, Gal's dead, and then they need to they need to run, essentially. Um, and then they go outside, and they see all these torches. And um, Jay goes out and tries to look for whoever's surrounded the house. Um, again, we don't follow Jay. We stay with um, his wife. His wife at this point, who's I can't remember her name. Shell, Michelle, right? Shell. Shell, yeah, Shell, yeah. Shell, yeah. yeah, yeah, and then yeah. the kid is still upstairs. Yeah, so you're all with the, the, and she's seeing that she hears glass smash. And yeah, she's aware that there are now people in the house. Yeah, and she, yeah, she, she gets, she gets a gun. She takes out two of them. She almost, oh, kind of, almost becomes a final girl in the like. Oh, kind they of. They kind of, they kind of set that up. That actually, maybe this is going to be her story, but no, that's not the case. We, um, we cut 
we go back to Jay, who's been captured <laughs> by the um, by this cult. They put a mask on him. Very similar to the one, the wood yeah. mask that the other people yeah, were Yeah, they, they put this mask on him. Um, hunchback. And the hunchback flashes up. So, we, so far we've had uh, the priest, the librarian, the MP. They don't kill the MP. I think... It's not really... You, I think it's. I think the MP is ultimately part of this cult. Yeah. He? I think he's yeah. one of the people who we see at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Um, part of this cult. But the hunchback flashes up. And Jay, he's putting this mask on him. They give him a knife. They take his shirt off. And we see this... Hooded hunchback. figure who looks like a hunchback, who's also holding a knife and brandishing it. Um, there's no dialogue for any of this scene. There's no dialogue. It's in very it. tribal. At this point, you it's almost like a all we hear a is this Bosch beating. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, we just hear the, the beating of this drum uh, from this cult, and then surrounded by all these cultists in the middle of the woods with just torches, you know, flames and stuff. Um, Jay is fighting this hunchback with a knife. He ultimately kills it stabs it to death and then we discover that this hunchback is his wife and kid who have been bound together and that Jay has just murdered them. The occultists then take the hood off and it's the contractor, the doctor, it's um the get the yeah, other Fiona, girlfriend. Gal's girlfriend, everyone who we all pretty much all the everyone else characters in the film, yeah. have all been part of this film. Before she dies, before his wife so he's he's murdered his he's stabbed his son to death. His, his wife is there, lay there dying, and she laughs. laughs. Yeah. She laughs just before she dies, and then as and then all the yeah all the cult members take their masks off. They start applauding, right? They start applauding. And they, they bring him a put a crown on crown his head. On his head they put yeah. a crown on his head. They are now worshiping him. He is their king, which gives more context to the fact that all their victims thanked him. Mm-hmm. That he, this that Jay is. For whatever reason, and I'll talk. Jesus, I mean, he, you know, the well, yeah. thorn across on the head. You know, yeah. it's very like he's the, they. He is their king. They crown him mm. their king. So, what do you think this film was about? And I know that's somewhat, you know, that's a, a difficult question to ask for a lot of films, and maybe not always the right question to ask. But what do you think this film was saying? Well, I think, like you were saying quite rightly about PTSD. I, I part of me feels that the overall point of this film is I don't think it's necessarily a film that has an overarching political moral social message mm. there are definitely key things within it religion um, certainly there's a little bit of a, like a political expose yeah. but definitely about PTSD and it's very much character driven it's more mm. concerned about these characters and their story and I think what adds to the kind of film's nihilistic nature is that it isn't really the overarching point is more I think to create an effect on the audience rather than making this overall statement about something. I think yeah. there are definitely like nuggets of messages and themes within it, but I think the overall film, much like House of the Devil, was to kind of have a bit of a arcing throwback to stuff like British horror, like The yeah. Wicker Man, Blood and Satan's Claw, and what have you. Yeah, because sure. there, there, there is a real um, uh, like British horror. What's the word? Folk horror. Folk horror. I mean, it, you know, and I think yeah. you know, I think it's got the exact same. It says as much as The Wicker Man does. So yeah. it's not got an overall political message. There are definitely themes of religion. Yes, and I think you could read it as a bit more... You and PTSD, you know. Yeah, well, I think PTSD ultimately and violence and the fact that at the end, and I think this is... Cause when I first watched it and I wanted to thought, why does she laugh at the end? And I think she, I think, I think she laughs because essentially she's been saying the whole time to Jay, you need to get help. You need mm. to sort yourself out, basically. Sort out your, your demons, your PTSD and stuff. Um, which he doesn't do, which he continues, which is what Gal tells him as well. He doesn't do this throughout the film. He just he indulges in his own 
self-destructive violence by you know and becomes more morally moved and ultimately and his wife says like you know you're going to lose us if you don't sort this out and ultimately in the final act of the film this violence and his PTSD literally literally kills his wife and kids and I think that's why she laughs at the end of it she's laughing at him almost to say I was right well, that and I, I, there's a part of me, though, I, it's kind of hard to explain. I thought she was partly aware of it. So at the beginning, when he's watching the wife and the son, yeah, play, so it's yeah, an exact a, replica of yeah. the last scene. So there's a bit at the beginning of the film where they are playing um, with swords and stuff, his wife and kid, which uh, which foreshadows the ending when he, in a literal knife fight, kills his kids. I also noticed that um, his son is playing with toy guns throughout mm-hmm. the film as well. Mm-hmm. I think it's about, you know representing how violence is seeping into the characters and his, you know, innocent son. Mm-hmm. And, and but it's about fractured psyches yeah. and, you know, yeah. how his psyche slowly breaks down, how everyone else around him is aware of it and somewhat being dragged into it. You yeah. know, that gal literally has to get up and go into the pits of hell to go and see what horror that he's done yeah. and, you know, and shot him in the head. Because I think the, um, the cult in this represent his... Um, really represent his PTSD and represent his um, detachment from emotion and lack of compassion and morality. And when, and that's why they all, that's why they're all thanking him. They're thanking him as he's going further and further down this road of self-destruction and violence and um, immorality. And then when they crown him at the end, when he, after he's killed his wife and kid and they crown him, it's like they've won. The PTSD and the violence has over. won and completely taken him over. Yeah. Sure, I can I don't see how you could read into that. I, I don't know, I still look at it on more of a surface level. You know, almost, you know, you could look at it with like a kind of mystical element where, you know, these people are like sacrificial lambs and they're being sacrificed. You know, you look at a lot of cult mm. movements where suicide and, you know, the idea of rebirth into another yeah. mystical form is like considered a gift. Um, yeah. So I think you could, I think the film is purposely playing both sides. Yeah. And much like the film, even though it sounds explicit and there are explicit, explicit violent moments in it, mm. it is still playing devil's advocate on both sides. It, it kind of leaves you purposely with more questions. It does, yeah. Um, I think both of these movies actually have a lot of, um, more interested in asking questions than answering them. More so, I think, more so than Kill List. Kill List, yeah. yeah. I think House of Devil is very much from the opening shot, sets up the parameters of that. It's in, you know, it's yeah. not really making the bigger point. It's just going, yeah. how does A link up to B? And yeah. I think Kill List it has a lot more thematic. Has a lot more thematically ideas. going on in it. Yeah. And it has the devil doesn't really. I don't think. I think it's maybe why it falls a bit flat. Maybe for me. I mean, maybe that's why. Yeah, I think Kill List is the better film because it's got more to say. But also, there's not a moment in it where you're not like, like I say, you know, every decision in Kill List you buy because the yeah. characters you. You because know, the first 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you're just hanging out. Again, the mumblecore yeah. element. Um, and you're not really sure who they are, what they're doing. Yeah. And again, much like the, film, the, ca- the, the characters in the film, the audience is playing catch-up. Yeah. You know, the, the characters in the film are like 10 paces behind. We're 20 paces behind. Yeah. And there is, you know, this kind of like, every other character is smiling grimacely at you. Mm, yeah. um, and again, does link into like his personal psychological state that he thinks everyone's out yeah. to get him. But I, th- I, know, I mean, I think this film is like a solid eight, nine out of ten for me. This yeah. is one of my favorite movies. I love Kill yeah. List. Um, uh, yeah, um, I give this a nine. I'd say nine. Nice. Yeah, yeah. So I can't. There aren't many movies that I would give a ten, but I'd say yeah, this movie is pretty. It's fairly flawless. But yeah. I don't get bored. What I've seen this film about eight, nine times. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I still don't get bored with it. I don't get bored at all. No, I think this is maybe like the third time I've watched. It. I hadn't watched it in a while as mm-hmm. well. 
because um, there are still I didn't remember all the details and stuff. But yeah, I get more out of it every time I watch it. I do love. I, I quite like. I mean, one of the good things about doing this podcast, I love actually having an excuse to watch a movie and properly dissect it and make notes on it whilst I'm watching it and stuff and um, really get into it. And this is a perfect film to uh, to do that for. Mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. And both these films mirror uh, complement each other quite nicely. Because yeah. as we were saying, I think before we started recording, there's a lot of. Uh, hinted stuff within House of the Devil and within uh, Kill List with the dialogue where it has this kind of double meaning after you mm. see it the second time. Yeah. You um, think I'm like, ah, yeah. 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 Um, and yeah, again, there's kind of ambiguity to both these movies. I think mm. really plays into it. They're both very, yeah, mysterious mm. movies. Occult, I suppose. Not to say women, but there's um, an ethereal vibe to this film where everything sure. isn't 100% set in stone. There is... Again, it leaves you with more questions yeah. than answers. Nothing is what it seems. Yes. And much. then when you watch it again and you know what happens at the end, you can... Kind of complicate things even more, yeah. actually. Yeah. Um, yeah. Much like the occult itself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think, yeah, both films use the occult quite well in the, in the um, to explore the themes and the ideas that they're, that they're exploring. Mm. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. No, I, 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 I like both of these films. I, I do like um, Kill List. Yeah, I think Kill This is the, the, the better film out of the two, um, without a doubt, I'd say. But I do, yeah, I do like House of the Devil as well, maybe a little bit more than you. But um, I can understand why someone wouldn't like it mm. as much, necessarily. Uh, so, yeah, uh, please, yeah, if you uh, have enjoyed this and you don't follow us already, please uh, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Uh, we are The Horror Autopsy, and that is our tag for all of our. Uh, social media accounts and yeah and subscribe to us on spotify or whatever you're listening to us on and then you will be uh, you will know when we release a new episode um this be, <laughs> this will be coming out early fair but it's, yeah we release um an episode once once a month at the start of the month um we have not decided what our next one will be yet but that is up to you Paolo. i have some ideas yeah but we'll keep it hush hush yes we will, um, yeah, but um, and and yeah, check out um, Ty West and Ben Wheatley's other films. More so, Ben Wheatley, In the Earth, Sightseers, Field in England, Down, Down Terrace. Terrace, yeah, and he's making the Meg Part Two. Is he really? <laughs> it's the next film. What the fuck? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so okay. and Free Fire. Which... Oh, Free Fire's fun. Michael Smiley's in as well. I think Michael Smiley's in all his movies actually. Maybe. He's in Down Terrace. I don't know. He's also in Field in England, yeah. Same yeah. with Rhys Shearsmith, because he's in Rhys yes. Smith. He's not in... Michael Smiley isn't in In the Earth. Okay. Or Rebecca, which I don't know why he made that. He probably he did pay his phone. He's got an interesting... Yeah, some 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 of them in these films, you can really feel it's a Ben Whitby film. Some of them he, he, he are... Yeah. yeah. Jobs. I mean, there's nothing necessary wrong Gotta with pay the bills. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he does walk a fine line between Ken Russell and kitchen sink realism. Yeah. Like, well, well, when he's at his best, he's, he's you know, he, he's... Um, Full doing, Ken Russell. Yeah, he's doing what he does in Kill List. But yeah, yeah, check out these movies, check out their other stuff. Um, and yes, stay scary, everyone, and we will see you in the next one. Ooh. <laughs>